<clears throat> We've noted already this morning the theme of our service is preparation or personal readiness, preparing the way of the Lord. And this is exactly what John the Baptist um, calls, uh, the, calls the people of God to, calls Israel to, and calls us to this morning. Uh, before I begin, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you and come to your word, we ask that you would fill us with uh, your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, O Lord. We pray, God, that you would, uh, you would use your word to transform us and to challenge us. And Father, we ask that you would anoint our ears to hear, anoint my lips to speak. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now that we've shifted out of the election cycle, some people are filled with an eager anticipation over waiting for our new president-elect to take office, and others are filled with fearful anticipation over waiting for our new president-elect to take office. Whichever camp you might find yourself in this morning, one of the commonalities or common denominators for both camps is that there's, an, there's a sense of imminent expectation or imminent anticipate. We, we are anticipating that which is coming. It's certain. We know that president-elect Donald Trump is going to take office. And I think this can teach us something about Advent this morning and about the Advent season. While we're uncertain about the kind of presidency Donald Trump will bring to this nation, ultimately, ultimately, Christians are exhorted from Scripture to eagerly anticipate the imminent reign of our coming King, King Jesus. And so this is the hope that we celebrate during Advent season. This is what the celebration of Advent is about. It creates within us a healthy sense of anticipation. And so this passage addresses the church today in the midst of, of waiting between the first and the second coming of Christ. And John's message to believers is one the world needs to hear. To turn from self and sin and to turn to God and grace. So I want you to follow along as I read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If I don't do that, no one will be able to focus for the entire sermon. Okay, let us read. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were, baptized, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, 
You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn up with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist calls God's people to prepare for the kingdom of heaven by living fruit-bearing lives which demonstrate true repentance. And this is the call for every believer that our lives would as well demonstrate true repentance. And so citizens of the kingdom of heaven not only confess that Jesus is Lord, but we demonstrate a transformed life in accordance with God's ways. Meaning we live in accordance with God's ways. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, John the Baptist says, Now in those days, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew skips ahead from the night of Jesus' birth in chapter 2 to the inauguration of his public ministry in chapter 3. The light that penetrated the night the night sky guiding the Magi to Bethlehem to worship Jesus now shines in and through His public ministry. He is the light that will penetrate the darkness of men and women's souls. Just as Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says that He has come to save people from their sins. This is why Jesus came, to save people from their sins. And so the fullness of time had come. This was the time to which the ministry of all the prophets of old even pointed. The fulfillment of God's covenant promise, Jesus Christ, entered our humanity. And John the Baptist announces it in verse 2 for all to hear when he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see that in verse 2? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is a call to repentance and then there is a call to realization. And the call to repentance is a call to seeking forgiveness. And the call to realization is to realize that Jesus' presence is the presence of Almighty God and He has entered our humanity. And things are different because Christ has entered our humanity. And so just as John the Baptist's preaching prepared his audience for Jesus' public ministry and the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, so our mission is similar today. We too proclaim the incarnational mission of Christ. We too proclaim that Christ has come, setting those who are in bondage free, bringing hope to those who are without hope, and delivering the captive from sin, and... As we celebrate this season of Advent, not only do we celebrate that Christ came, but we celebrate that Christ is coming again. This is what the Advent season teaches us. And so as we move through, as we ebb through the flow of of even the church calendar on a yearly basis, 
It helps us to, to kind of feel in our bones this sense of healthy anticipation. And as we move towards Lent, it helps us to feel in our bones the sense of our, our deliverance from sin, our being raised from the grave with Christ. And so the Advent season on the church calendar is about preparing the way for Christ. And quite simply, I want to ask us this morning, how are we preparing the way of Christ this Advent season? Believer, how are you in your own life preparing the way for Christ this Advent season? And what bearing does God's word have on our lives as we prepare the way of the Lord this Advent season? In other words, when we come to God's word and we read it, how is it challenging us to change? How is it affirming our faith? How is it calling us to live in response to God's authoritative word to the life and ministry of Christ. So let us take note this morning how Christ's mission in the world calls believers to prepare others and ourselves for the coming kingdom of heaven. This is our challenge this morning. That as believers... Living Christ's mission in the world, we are to prepare others and prepare ourselves for the coming kingdom of heaven. And we see this first with an invitation to the internal work of the gospel. This means the good news of Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. And there's an invitation here in verses 1 through 6. In fact, the call of verse 2 that John speaks is a call to transformation. He says, repent. And it's a call to all who have ears to hear. John the Baptist is saying, make preparations. Make ready for your king. Make ready for the Messiah. He's coming. And so the call of preparation, it invites us to repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's message challenges us first at our core. Because the work of repentance is an internal work. It's a work that's deep down within us. It's a hard work of preparation and making ready, in readiness for Christ's return. You know, there are many distractions that Christians face, especially believers in America, but it really doesn't matter where you are. There are many distractions that we face in our country that cause us to lose sight of Christ's imminent return, aren't there? You can probably think of a few even now. We become focused on Maybe the comforts of this life. Perhaps we become too focused on trials and difficulties that come our way. Or we get ensnared by sin and we we get distracted by the pursuit of prosperity. Or we, we presume upon God's grace and we pursue selfish pleasures instead of seeking to walk in holiness. But all of these things have a common effect on the believer. And that is, it causes us to to take our our gaze from being focused on Christ and and focus it on ourselves and upon our, our own situations where we lose sight of focusing upon Christ. But this misses the Christian calling of God's mission in the world. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus himself challenged his disciples to pray for the kingdom to come. He says, pray then in this way, our Father, right, who art in heaven, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Do you know, church believer, that it's God's desire for you to seek for his kingdom to come? Do you know that it's God's design that his kingdom would come through your ministry as a believer, through the church's ministry, through each of us participating in Christ's kingdom work? And so there's a challenge when we consider preparing for Advent. And the challenge is personal readiness. Personal readiness is crucial in the life of God's people. It's crucial because it keeps our focus more clearly on the bigger picture of God's work in the world. Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's a prayer seeking the will of God at work in the midst of the world. This is in our vocation. This is in every every nuanced step of life. We are to be seeking God's kingdom come. And so there are two ways that the gospel transforms. Two ways that the gospel Let me say that again. Two ways that gospel transformation leads to personal preparation. And the first one is the attitude of my heart turns. This is what verse 2 is about the call to repent. Repentance means a complete turning of the person. Repentance is where the inward conscience is pricked and it changes. It grows sorrowful over sin, recognizing that there, there's this attitude toward God before I know Christ, before I've confessed my sin, and when I see my sin before a holy God, then I'm broken over my sin. This is what repentance looks like. It means confessing that sin and turning from that sin. It's a change in attitude toward God because the repentant person experiences sorrow over sin. Not sorrow because we've been caught in sin, but sorrow because we've sinned against a good and holy God. One man, I don't know who, read it somewhere, said it's much easier to repent of sins that we've committed than to repent of the sins that we intend to commit. That's true, right? We, we can repent of those that we've committed. But you see, the heart attitude, the change, the transformation comes into play when we don't need to think about repenting for the sins that we intend to commit. We've been transformed and we've been changed. Repentance involves a turning of the heart toward God and turning away from sin. This is what John the Baptist is calling us to. To turn from sin and turn to God. You see, repentance involves confessing our sins. Look at what he says in verse 6. And they were, ba- they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Repentance and confession of sin go hand in hand. We can't truly repent without confessing of our sins before God. And as we vocalize, this confession involves vocalizing our sin before God. Not just some general prayer that we throw up in God's direction, saying, God, forgive me of my sins. But I think there needs to be some intentionality in our confession where we're acknowledging the way that we have sinned and offended a holy God. Does this mean that I have to keep track of every sin and confess every sin before God in that manner or else He doesn't forgive me? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But there's something intrinsically valuable about me coming before God humbly and saying, God, I'm aware that I've sinned against you here. And I'm naming it in your presence, and I need your strength 
to go past it. I need you to strengthen me and empower me to live in such a way that I don't continue to sin in this way. So, Father, forgive me. I repent and I turn from this. There needs to be a renewing of our mind even so that in the midst of our repentance and changing that we develop even new spiritual habits and practices which help guard us against temptation to sin. So we can't truly repent without confessing our sins before God. And confessing our sins before God involves a vocalization of our acknowledgement that we have offended God. So the announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven by John was it was good news that brought about true repentance for those people who were there that day hearing John the Baptist proclaim repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so their baptism was a a step toward personal preparation for the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see is repentance and confession of sin are important markers for preparation for the believer, for the kingdom of heaven. Is this something that is practiced in your life, believer? Are you living a repentant life? One where you are demonstrating your own heartfelt sorrow before the Lord for your sin and confessing that before Him. The second way that the gospel, that gospel transformation leads to personal preparation is the direction of my life turns. Look at verse 3. He talks about clearing obstacles. Clearing obstacles out of our lives, it's part of the preparation process. Verse 3, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And it pictures the road being cleared as the king is coming into town, entering the city. Every hindrance is being removed. Every roadblock is being taken down. And so John calls God's people through repentance to make ready the way of the Lord, to make the paths straight. And similarly, John calls us to clear the obstacles out of our own lives so that we too will be prepared For the Lord's coming. Those things which hinder us. Those sinful snares which deplete our spiritual vitality must be cast aside. And this is what John is saying. Take those things and move them out of the way. Clear those obstacles so that you yourself are preparing and making ready for the coming king. Hebrews 12.1 is helpful for us, isn't it? It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Church, the imminent return of Christ cautions us not to dabble in sin, but to devote ourselves to to Christ completely and wholly. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 to the disciples, verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. 
You see, the invitation to personal preparation calls us to closely examine our lives. We, like the children of Israel, need to be spiritually alert, need to be ready. Perhaps some here this morning are like those who are coming to repent of their sin for the first time. And hear the urgency of what John the Baptist is saying. Hear the urgency of God's word this morning that you do not know. We do not know when Christ will return. But the call, the call is repent now. Don't waste any more time. Repent of your sin. Confess before the Lord your need for forgiveness. And draw near to Him. And He'll draw near to you. So let me ask this morning, are the obstacles in your life keeping you from being prepared for the kingdom of heaven? What's holding you back from being prepared for the kingdom of heaven? What does the attitude of your heart say about the direction of your life? Are there obstacles in the way? Is there unconfessed sin that you're aware of? Believer, are you struggling with some particular besetting sin? Is there some sin that you need deliverance from? Are you harboring bitterness this this Christmas season? Do you find yourself wanting to hurt others because you yourself have been hurt? Listen, the work of the gospel can transform you. God's word can transform you, can change you from the inside out. But secondly, not only does the internal work of the gospel change us, the internal work of the gospel leads to an external transformation displaying the gospel. The work of the gospel leads to an external transformation which displays the gospel. We see this in verse, verses 7 through 12. The internal work of repentance actually leads to an action. And that, that action, John says and challenges, uh, that action is seen through the bearing of fruit in keeping with repentance. And that is to say that genuine repentance is proven through a fruit-bearing life. Just as an orange tree bears oranges, and an apple tree bears apples, and a pear tree bears pears, so a Christian who is repentant will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's the nature of how God changes us. It's the nature of who we become as God is transforming us. And so Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Or in Galatians 5.22, right? The, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Here's the fruit that's produced in the believer's life. Here's here's what the life of the believer bears as God is doing this work of transformation. And so in verses 7 through 12, John calls those Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of vipers, and he warns them, he challenges them. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And so he says to them in verse 8 to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But also wants you to see that genuine repentance is empowered by spirit-filled living. We see this in verse 9. 
He says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise these stones. God is able to raise from these stones children for Abraham. In verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, in verse 9, the Pharisees and Sadducees were quick to presume that because of their ancestral roots, they were in good standing with God. They attributed to Abraham only what Christ could do. They believed that Abraham, by his goodness and favor with God, had built up a treasury of merit for all of his descendants. So, if you couldn't merit your own way to get to heaven, your own eternal life, don't worry. Abraham has enough merit for you to inherit eternal life. You see, but the problem was their heart was far from God. And so John chastised them in verse 7, calling them a brood of vipers. In Matthew twenty three twenty seven, Jesus himself challenged the Pharisees, saying they were like whitewashed tombs, where the outside appears beautiful, but the inside is full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. And so as we read these words this morning, we need to hear the dire warning. And that is that being fit for the kingdom of heaven isn't about a religious pedigree. It's not about how long we've been a member of a church, and it's, it's not about how morally good we are. It's not about who we associate with or the positions maybe that our parents held in church or that we've held in church. You see, preparation for the kingdom of heaven is dependent on what verse 11 says, that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we know God's indwelling presence in this life. And it's only through the sealing of the Holy Spirit that we have access into the eternal presence of the Father. Hear what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, he says, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, those who are genuinely repentant are baptized with the Holy Spirit and can live a Spirit-filled life. In fact, living a Spirit-filled life is God's design and desire for His children, for every believer. So that means as we come to faith in Christ and are repentant of our sin, the Holy Spirit is given as a seal of our inheritance. And we then are able to live in a, in a dependent relationship where the Holy Spirit of God is guiding us and teaching us as we're reading and studying His Word and prompting us as we're walking through the day and empowering us and strengthening us. You see, as Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer. But he also says to be baptized with fire. And I I think he means here to be baptized with God's judgment. There's some question as to whether or not he means baptized by the Spirit and fire like we see in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, but I think in connection with the context as we see in verses 11 and 12 where he talks about uh, the winnowing fork and the judgment, judgment hand of God clearing the threshing floor 
gathering his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. There's a consequence of not bearing good fruit of repentance. I think this is what Jesus is challenging us to, or John the Baptist, rather, is challenging us to in verses 10 and 12. We're given two pictures of the consequence of not repenting. First is of the axe, right? What's the axe do? It's laid at the root of the tree, and it cuts down the tree that is bearing bad fruit. And this tree will be burned up. And then we say the second one in verse 12, the threshing floor and the winnowing fork, sorting through the weed and the chaff. So the chaff is, is to be burnt up with the unquenchable fire, whereas the wheat remains. So the challenge for all who are hearing John is to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has come. And the one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who is repentant, confessing their sin before the Lord and trusting in Christ as Savior So John the Baptist proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. The call of the church today, though, is no different. We are to proclaim the good news of the arrival of Christ our King as we take this message of the good news of the gospel to the nations, as we take it throughout our community, as we share it with our neighbor, with our spouses. For we know that Christ's return is imminent. And the closer that we walk with Christ the greater our longing for his return will be. So this is what John is challenging us to. Christ's mission in the world calls us to prepare for the kingdom of heaven. He calls us to do this by living fruit-bearing lives of true repentance. And so this Advent season, let's learn again how to eagerly anticipate Christ's return. Brothers and sisters, let's live in such a way that we're preparing for King Jesus' second advent. Let's examine our lives and let's live spirit-empowered lives and proclaim the message that the world needs to hear. To turn from self and sin and to turn to God and grace through repentance of our sin. Believer, for you this morning... Maybe there's a particular area in your life where you've recognized and realized that you are not preparing and making ready for the way of the Lord. That there are some particular obstacles that are in your life this Advent season. And let this message be a challenge and a reminder to you to confess that before the Lord. Or maybe for you this morning, you've recognized that you've never repented of your sin before holy, righteous God. And that for you this morning, that's where you're at, that you are here and you're ready to repent of your sin. I would encourage you and invite you to take time to repent this morning, maybe for the first time of your sin and confess that before the Lord and then share that with someone. Uh, Come and speak to me and share it with me. Tell me. Uh, Maybe you have questions about what it means to truly repent and confess your sin. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come and to find me even after service this morning. Uh, and ask me, let me speak with you about what it means to repent of sin, to confess that before the Lord Jesus. Let us pray and you respond as the Lord leads. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the hope that we have in Christ, our Savior. We thank you for this call to make ready, to prepare the way of the Lord. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would speak or that you would continue to challenge us, continue, Father, to uh, to lead us and to guide us into all truth, to know you and to live lives of confession and repentance and to make our days about preparing for the imminent return of Christ, our King. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?